This is a Giving Thought podcast from the Charities Aid Foundation's think tank, Giving Thought. And welcome to the Giving Thought podcast. This is episode 11, and today the title of the podcast is No Place for Philanthropy. We're hoping that's sort of clickbaity enough for this subject. Um, I'm joined today by uh, my colleague, Rodri. Hey, Rod. Hiya. And I'm Adam. Um, yeah, today we're we're talking about um, philanthropy uh, and place. So that I suppose the, the kind of the question that we're asking is, has philanthropy lost its connection to place and should we be worried about that? Um, so, yeah, let's uh, let's kick off. Rod? Yeah, I suppose um, it's worth saying up front that, you know, this is a subject we're so interested in that we're actually doing a big project about it at the moment called um, particularly kind of uh, looking at the context of, of urban environments. Uh, it's called Giving for the City and we've done some reports kind of looking at the landscape of civic philanthropy and whether you can kind of use philanthropy as a way of reigniting civic identity and reconnecting people with with cities um i suppose in terms of the bigger picture issue the question is probably you know that old stock phrase of charity begins at home um there's a lot of ways of interpreting that but one of them is it's about kind of geographic locality um and for a long time you know that was the reality of charitable giving people did give by necessity where they you know were born and uh, brought up and worked and lived because those were all the same place um for the vast majority of the population you know they couldn't move outside of that travel was very expensive means of communication were limited knowledge about the outside world was probably fairly limited so people often gave you know very locally uh within the communities that, that they were a part of be that wealthy people or kind of people um who were themselves uh kind of in some form of need um and i suppose the the thing is that in a lot of ways the you know the reduction in cost of things like the travel and the improvements in communication have meant that we've become a much more global world and in a lot of ways that's benefited many of us enormously but has one potential negative impact of that been that the link between place and philanthropy has been diminished or even broken and if place is a strong motivating force for giving are we missing out if we don't try and harness that yeah so okay so i kind of uh a question for you rod that i have when i think about this is 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 what we're talking about really um uh, an economic trend in that um we've seen in other in other research particularly from research done by uh new philanthropy capital um they had found that actually people tend to uh pe- people from wealthy areas will often give but they will give in their own area and actually a lot of the problems are that a lot of the problem is the fact that in the areas that need philanthropy the most that's where there are no philanthropists and the areas that need them the least seem to be where there is a lot of local giving so how does that fit into your thinking yeah, I think you're absolutely right. There's a kind of there's a slight chicken and egg problem if you start talking about philanthropy as a force for civic renewal, because there's a real danger that you know 
what you end up doing is just strengthen an existing culture of giving in an area where there already is one. And actually where you really want to be focusing is on trying to instill a, a culture where it's entirely lost or try and kind of uh, reverse the decline of, of one in an area where, where it's got to a kind of fairly parlous state. So it's actually it's a question of, you know, can you use philanthropy as a force for driving civic renewal and civic identity or do you kind of need people to have a pre-existing sense of place and want to give to it in order to do that i think you know if you're aware of that slight paradox you can address it and so that's kind of an, an important question to ask up front and actually the approach to trying to engender a culture of philanthropy will be different in different places you know yeah. places that have a kind of rich tradition of it and that tradition has carried on uh you know building on that and making it more forward-looking perhaps or kind of just expanding it to include more people at different levels of wealth that's probably quite different from trying to find ways of essentially bootstrapping a culture of philanthropy you know a a place-based philanthropy in an area where you know it's really pretty much disappeared so I guess we we've um, we've taken for granted the fact that we have a culture where we expect uh, we expect the wealthy to give back and that that will uh, provide benefits in the same way and in a way that complacency has allowed that kind of local connection to to atrophy maybe I mean, if we if you look back to some of the kind of captains of industry um, who you know they lived in a town grew up in a town built their factories in the town and employed local people. And everything was there for them to see. And they would, you know, if there were poor living conditions, they would make the connection between that and lower productivity and they would improve living conditions. But that's slightly different if you live uh, in the, you know, on the outskirts of a town in a nice little village and actually the town where your workers live is not uh, in the nearest town to you, but is actually in Pune or, you know, is uh, in Indonesia somewhere. Um, that's much more difficult to both to see, uh, to have proximity to to that kind of relationship between your workers and their environment and feel a responsibility for it. I think that's absolutely right. And it kind of raises an important question about, you know, I think we need to be a bit more sophisticated when thinking about people's sense of place and how that can drive philanthropy. Because it isn't just about people having geographic proximity to a place and giving to it because you know they were like historical ties to it and they're still there actually the reality in this world is that people probably do care about place but they might care about multiple different places and they might not be the ones that they live or work in now so you know how in the future for instance in the uk could you harness the fact that there are a lot of people making money in london but most of them will have grown up somewhere else in the country yeah. or you know abroad and probably feel ties to that place and actually appealing to them to use the money that they're generating in london to give back to that place might be more effective or so how that, do you kind of sorry or how do you appeal to kind of grant makers who have a national remit but see kind of focusing on a specific place as a way of making something a manageable size so that they can control variables. There's, you know, there's kind of all sorts yeah. of different motivations. Yeah, and I guess it's it's looking at this again and trying to capitalise on those motivations because they're all there, but we're just not really having, certainly in the UK anyway, we're not really having this conversation anymore, are we? No, I think, I think that's the thing. I mean, a lot of it, in a way, 
is, you know, there are kind of practical things that have been done and kind of really interesting examples from around the world of how kind of civic philanthropy is flourishing. But a lot of it is just about narrative. You know, it's about making sure that when we are talking about all these things like, you know, the future of cities and kind of devolution of power down to a local level, philanthropy is part of that mix. So, yeah, I stay stay tuned uh, for us in releasing uh, more stuff on this. We've already put out uh, a couple of reports, haven't we? Um, excellent reports, well worth a read. So um, uh, get onto the Giving Thought uh, and CAF websites and uh, stay tuned for that. And also follow our social channels to see more uh, of the stuff that we're producing on Giving in the City over the next uh, few weeks. So, Rod... You teed up this section. Uh, actually, when we wrote these notes, uh, I, I, I forgot exactly what we were talking about. So I'm intrigued by the subtitle that we have in our notes, which is the dark side of civic philanthropy. So uh, fill me in. Yeah, it's just, it, it's really, it kind of struck me in the course of doing research for the project I've been working on for a while about this, you know, civic philanthropy, that there are some some challenges that are not necessarily unique to a civic context, but are felt particularly strongly. And they're kind of a lot of the challenges that you know we discuss a lot in this podcast about the power imbalance in philanthropy and kind of democratic deficit that can come when you give you know a small number of people enormous power through their giving. But there are some interesting examples that raise pretty kind of fundamental points about philanthropy. Um so, you know, one of the, the most noteworthy, I think, is what's happened in Detroit and to an extent Flint in Michigan uh, in the US. Now, the the um, city government of Detroit went bankrupt in 2012 or 13, I think. I probably got that wrong. Um, and a, a group of foundations that were based in that local area and within the state played a huge role in kind of coming together and providing funds basically to kind of keep the lights on, to keep basic services going. And, you know, it, it made sense from their point of view because they some element of what they are doing was kind of place-based focus on meeting the, the needs of citizens in that area. But actually from the point of view of a kind of bigger, bigger picture question of the relationship between state and philanthropy, it raised it quite a lot of awkward points about you know, the extent to which philanthropy should be expected to step in and address the failings of kind of public mismanagement of money. Yeah. Um, and and we've seen the the same in some, some other cities. Uh, I mean, Hartford, Connecticut, I think recently uh, had a similar situation where a lot of insurance companies uh, banded together and used philanthropic money to try and kind of support civic infrastructure because money had run out. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the thing that... Uh that sticks in my man, mind is the idea of um, of a kind of social precedent that's set. Um, look, governments are particularly uh, now in a kind of slightly polarised environment, uh, always going to argue about budgets. And if they feel like ultimately there is a safety net to be provided by philanthropy for local areas, they're more likely to get closer and closer and closer to uh, to defaulting and and having no budget, which just strikes me as uh, as as a role that philanthropy shouldn't be putting itself up for to be the safety net of government. It doesn't feel like a natural fit for philanthropy, and also fundamentally, that's neither what philanthropy ought to be for, nor is it a good um, fit for the job. 
No, absolutely. And I think, you know, the the examples that, that we've talked about already are ones where the situation has basically reached crisis point and it wasn't necessarily there was an expectation that philanthropy stepped in, but it, it so happened that it did. Yeah. But as you say, there's a danger of a precedent being established. And actually, interestingly, in the, the city of Kalamazoo in the US, there's a kind of slightly different controversy where the mayor there actively went out to a couple of philanthropists who happened to be kind of friends and contacts of his and asked them to chip in some money to to cover, I think, I mean, things basically like the pension costs of public employees and the, the kind of the public deficit, not at the point where they'd reached crisis, but sort of actively going out and seeking philanthropy before that point. And that to me, as you say, seems like a misuse of the kind of social motivation behind philanthropy. Yeah, I mean, that's a incredible precedent to set isn't it just as using philanthropy as part of normal budgeting uh within government because the scales are completely wrong like you know in other podcasts we've talked about the scale of need uh, in delivering the sustainable development goals and that really shows the it shows the mismatch between the provision of basic services uh, that can be offered by government and the scale of philanthropy which is honestly very small compared to the capacity of government yeah it's it's a rounding error yeah essentially it's not what and and that's why that's not what philanthropy is good at philanthropy is good at trying new ideas at trying to convince the public that they ought to fund something and then in many cases that's when the state takes over not not the reverse so it's a kind of slightly worrying precedent to set from from my point of view anyway it is, yeah, and I think on that that sort of the democratic point of view um, uh, point as well about um, uh, the kind of d- distribution of this stuff. There's there's something important as well where it, actually philanthropy in a civic context that's that's not as controversial because it's basically funding things that are very clearly should be kind of uh, publicly funded through taxation. Yeah. Um, there's still a lot of controversy. So a, a really interesting case in point is what's been happening in the US around uh, public parks. So there's there's numerous examples around uh, around the country of parks where philanthropists have either been sought out or have kind of come in uh, either to kind of take over failing parks, as was famously the case with um, uh, Central Park in New York and the establishment of the Conservancy there, or to establish entirely new parks. So Again, the kind of celebrated example of that is in New York with Highline Park, which is a mm. park created on a kind of old section of elevated railway. But that has proved quite controversial. You know, everybody, I think, is very grateful to the donors who've put million, hundreds of millions of dollars into it. But it has raised a lot of questions about whether public green space should be controlled by the kind of the whims of wealthy people. Because actually increasingly there's a concern that what happens is you get very very nice parks in the areas where rich people live and use them and all the other parks in a city um lose out as as a result and and this was when bill de blasio ran for mayor of new york this was something he picked up on and he kind of was threatening at one point to support um a measure that had been put forward by a new york state senator i think which would have kind of forcibly taken money from the new york uh, from the Central Park Conservancy, which is which is a charity, it's a non-profit, yep. and redistributed it to other poorer parks in the city. So essentially kind of reimposing um, kind of social redistribution on a philanthropic structure, which is a pretty radical idea. That's amazing. But it has quite a strong internal logic, though, as soon as you explain it in the way that you just have. 
yeah, it's just that, you know, for all of its many virtues, philanthropy is not always good at ensuring kind of geographic equity or, no. you know, kind of equity among communities. Because that's, it's not really how it's designed. It's based on the sort of choices of individuals at a micro level. Yeah. And then at a macro level, there's no reason to suppose that will miraculously turn into a rational distribution of, of assets. Okay, so in this final section, uh, we're going to continue the chat by talking about what place should mean uh, for philanthropy in the modern world. Um, so yeah, Rod, there's there's some out, outstanding uh, and quite difficult questions, aren't they, um, to to answer on this subject? Yeah, I think that's right, Adam. And it's kind of you know the a lot of it is hidden in that word place that we're using to you know and everybody else is using to. Uh, focus this idea of um frame this idea of place-based philanthropy because there's quite a lot of interest in this topic at the moment and a mm. sense that this is a, a sort of profitable avenue to to go down for philanthropy but it does raise questions about you know what is it that we mean and we've already touched on it a bit saying actually um you know there's a slightly old-fashioned notion of place which is just about you know people living in a specific geographic place but even there, what does what does that mean? You know, what my sense of identity with a place, where do you draw the the lines around that? Is it with my local neighborhood? Is it with my you know the county in which I live? Is it at a state level? You know, it, yeah. and particularly when you factor in that people might have multiple different relationships with different geographic places, mm. uh, particularly in a mobile population, actually, it's nowhere near as simple as it first looks. No, and, and it's getting more complicated over time. So the the wealthier people tend to be, the more likely it is that they will kind of self-define as global citizens. Uh, I actually spoke at the Global Citizens Forum uh, a few years ago and met these people who have grown up in, you know, they may have grown up in international school in several different countries. They uh, And they actually hold numerous different nationalities some of which they they've had uh for years some of which they engage in uh in buying and mm. you know there's actually an industry of uh of countries competing to allow people to buy passports and in some cases i forget the specific examples they will encourage philanthropy with that money that you pay to buy uh to buy your passport so Actually, the, the the idea that people would be wedded to place uh, is an interesting one in itself. And, you know, they it may be that they're more wedded to a specific city in one country than they are to the current country that they live in. And, you know, people, I think people will operate at those areas. And so, you know, there's a lot of interest in di- diaspora giving, uh, recognising that the place that people are may not be the place that they want to give. Yeah, I think that's right. And actually, you know, the same holds true for people at a, a lower level of wealth for a different reason. I mean, essentially because the, you know, the transformation in communication that's come as a result of internet, of the internet means that the the idea of community and the idea of locality are no longer synonymous in the way that no. they once were. So actually, you know, once when you said give, you know, giving back to your community or kind of um a kind of a community of of interest then that that would have been the same as place just for pragmatic reasons. Yeah. But now you can have kind of 
massively geographically distributed communities of interest around social causes or around all kinds of different things you know it could be around you know people who are thundercats enthusiasts or whatever and it might well be that you know what you want to do is all group together and and uh you know maybe you, all thundercats enthusiasts in the world i'm gonna i'm gonna follow this i'm gonna follow this idea somewhere you know they might all want to kind of team together and use that community of interest to drive actual practical action in a geographic area or it may be you know a slightly more sensible one all <laughs> Uh, kind of diaspora givers so all the kind of Bangladeshi community within the UK or whatever might want to kind of create a community of interest amongst themselves which is you know their shared interest is their sense of identity that's still linked to the place that they or their parents came from and actually they want to use their giving to try and support towns and villages and regions back there Um, so you know I think actually it's open to all of us now to kind of carve up our sense of community um totally independently of anywhere that we happen to live your utopian vision of a bright future for the thundercats community is touching and beautiful i'm a dreamer adam i've always (laughs) been a dreamer i'm intrigued as to where that came from where Uh, i wouldn't i wouldn't I wouldn't, I wouldn't too chase too far into my brain for that sort of thing. No, absolutely not. Good. Uh, I mean, I, I'm not sure I can... I, th- I think that may have defeated my chain of thought, to be honest. <laughs> but I suppose, I mean, yeah, the, another thing to say about, about all this is, you know, uh, actually one thing that's interesting is, yes, technology has made it easier not to have to live in one uh, geographic area, but actually in a weird way, it's also made it easier for people to act hyper-locally. And you see yeah. this through the rise of things like kind of hyper-local news sites and community enterprises. We're actually, you know, I think for a long while, people had strong geographic links and networks within a local area. So they kind of knew who all the people were and did social action. And yeah. then there was a sort of, you know, the kind of bowling alone phenomenon that Robert Putnam's written about, mm. sociologists in the US, where, you know, people didn't really do anything in their local communities and didn't join voluntary organizations anymore and felt disconnected. But actually, technology now means that you can use technology to find out about your local area, even if you don't, you wouldn't have just walked out the door and known where all these things were. So actually, we're probably seeing people more interested in acting locally than we have for quite a long time. Okay, well, I think that's it for this week. Uh, All that's left for us to say is... Thank you, everyone, for downloading uh, our 11th podcast. Uh, It's going great. We're getting more numbers every week. Uh, But please uh, subscribe and like and comment on on our podcast on iTunes and any other platform that you may be on. Uh, Tweet us if you have any suggestions or questions uh, or get in touch with us at givingthought at cathonline.org. And, yeah, please visit the website, download uh, our new giving in the city report and uh, and we'd love to hear some of your thoughts on that and to engage with you uh, in the future on on it um so that's it i think uh, so that's all for me um see you later bye thunder thunder thunder